everybody, welcome to the October 21st, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Secretary of State spokesperson Lynn Bartles right here in Colorado getting national run on Twitter with her answer to Donald Trump's claim that the election is rigged. Her response included the line, I can go on Twitter and say I'm a supermodel, but it doesn't make it true. Patty Calhoun from Westward, a classic Bartles line. I'd love to see it get national attention. Well, and it was a sensible line, too, because it is just not that easy to rig the election, as Lynn went on to say. You know, the 64 counties, the clerks there are in charge of it. It is not one cabal headed by a Republican, of course, that is going to rig this election. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, it seemed like the, uh, a perfect response both had just the, the right amount of snark and uh, the right amount of backing from somebody who's speaking for the Secretary of State, a Republican from Colorado. If Lynn Bartles were the Republican nominee for president, she would be winning this election in a landslide. Uh, Trump's the only person probably in the United States who could lose to Hillary Clinton in, in a landslide. Secretary of State Williams and his communications person, Lynn Bartles, are continue to work hard to defend and, and affirm the legitimacy of the fair system of free elections, whereas Trump and Hillary have been doing everything they can in their own various ways to undermine the legitimacy of our system of government. Mm -hmm. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, you're not too shabby on Twitter yourself, so what do you think of what we saw from Ms. Bartles? Well, what I really like is that even though Lynn left journalism, left this table, went into the bureaucracy, she has not lost her touch. Mm -hmm. She has not lost her bite. That is great. Donald Trump can tweet at 3 in the morning that I'm going to be the next president of the United States. Also doesn't make it true. <laughs> Rounding out the panel, Ben Gelt, public affairs consultant. Uh, what do you think of uh, the national run that Lynn got with her tweet? Always love when Lynn gets good pub. She's such a terrific lady. And if she says something, I believe it. So she better be careful. They're here. <laughs> Wednesday's final presidential debate failed to reset any significant part of the campaign, with the exception of Donald Trump's refusal to say if he would accept the results on Election Day. On Thursday, Trump did say he would accept the results if he wins. Patty, uh, I'm not sure if I expected anything really different from this debate. Uh, you know, I think folks may have tuned into the same way they would drive slow past a car wreck or a train wreck, but it didn't seem that uh, anything really reset. It was more of the same. Perhaps I'm being jaded. What did you think? Well, we didn't have the entertaining Trump like the shark going around Hillary that we did in the second <laughs> debate. So I kind of missed that. I watched it at, at Regis with, all, with students. A shout out to them. It was a great event. And they were tweeting through the whole thing as we were watching, putting memes up, which were much more entertaining than the debate itself. I thought Hillary did all right. She did as well as she has been in the debates. Trump did a little better than he had in the second debate. but. I was just so stunned by his comment that she's a nasty woman, which seemed not really a smart move at that point, that I almost missed him basically saying he was not going to obey the election results. His, his comeback yesterday was kind of funny, but still, it is worrisome when the, one of the candidates for president of the United States is basically saying he is not going to accept what the electorate decides. 
David, I've uh, given you a little bit of grief on this show about how uh, how well you're able to quote uh, or at least reference Latin American dictators. But when I heard, I'm not going to accept the results of the election, it made me think of Latin American dictators. <laughs> like, David's being very prescient on this issue. <laughs> yeah. did, did, did you see, did you hear, hear, feel your ears burning during that, those comments? Well, his claims, like increasingly most of what he says, are just disconnected from reality. And don't think of this as trying to win the election. Think of this as building with Steve Bannon his post-election media empire, for which you don't need 51% or 30% of the American public to believe anything you, you say. You just need your hardcore of people who will willfully share your, your obvious lies and, and delusions. I, I think that the, the sum of the three debates uh, including the last one, was for those voters who say, I can't stand either one of them, but I'm, for whatever reason, they're not going to vote for a third party. They're undecided. She won by far. She was cool, calm, collected, on top of things, lied constantly, but, you know, that's <laughs> the undecided voters already know that about her. And whereas Trump he was able to sustain things, you know, for, say, the first half hour in the first debate, for maybe about the first 45 minutes in the, in the final debate. But he doesn't have the mental self-discipline or self-control to keep it together. He lacks stamina. He obviously lacks preparation. So if you're thinking about, well, who's going to do it? She has the presidential temperament. He can't even keep, him, keep himself paying attention for 90 minutes in a row to have good answers. And you can contra contrast the temperament of she went after him on Social Security. He does such a nasty woman versus Ronald Reagan in 1980, where he came back with, you know, the oh, there you go again. Ronald Reagan, if you might notice, laughed sometimes. Have you ever seen Donald Trump laugh? Ever. I, I wonder what particular mental illness that is related to <laughs> in him. And for delegitimizing democracy like he's trying to do, Deplorable, horrifying, same thing that Hillary and Al Gore and the rest pull, tried to pull in 2000. And even today, our Secretary of State's going around the country saying that even though we lost Ohio by 140,000 votes, the state was really stolen from him. So all the Democrats who were clutching their pearls and having fainting spells over what Trump's doing, uh, look in the eye, you, you hypocrites. <laughs> Uh, again, an, an, another uh, soft-toned uh, uh, take from David. Eric, some of the uh, analysis I heard after the debate was about, well, saying that you're not going to set the results, you're going to have people lose faith in the American system of democracy. And I get that for people who might be watching the sidelines, but I think for the Trump faithful, there wasn't any faith there to really destroy. So I, I guess at the end of the day, I'm not really sure, does it matter if someone who loses a, a election, who's not in power anyway, if he concedes or not? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. It's a good question. First of all, I have to say it's nice to go third on this panel because I get to follow Patty, who can really be such a nasty woman. <laughs> <laughs> and David, who by virtue of this last response is definitely a bad hombre. <laughs> so, uh, you know, credit. Wrong. <laughs> Credit to, uh, credit to both of them. Uh, do you remember back in the primary debates, uh, that whole circus last uh, winter and spring, when Trump would talk about how he was going to wipe the floor in these debates with Hillary Clinton? That, you know, just nominate me and watch me completely dominate her. Well, you know, you wonder what anybody who was watching that is now thinking after she lost. Yeah, she, he, Trump lost each successive debate by slightly less than he lost the first debate because the first one was a complete wipeout and a complete no-show on Trump's part. But 
you know, by any objective standard, Trump lost all three debates. He was not horrible in this last debate, but what debates are about are certain moments, and the moments in that debate went against him, and the ultimate moment was when he, you know, would not pledge to, to support or to recognize the election results and support the winner of the election. And then he went to a rally in Ohio yesterday, and at that point I thought he was just really toying with us, you know, with his little sound bite, the dramatic pause that he would support the winner, long pause, if, if it's me. Uh, you know, at some point he is just toying. I don't know if he's accepted in his own mind. David talks about mental illness, and I, I don't throw that around loosely either. But I happen to think that there are more than a few codes in the DSM that uh, that that might apply here. Um, I don't know if that if he's accepted that he's going to lose here, but it is going to be a dramatic loss to somebody that the country really doesn't want to elect, that they would take any plausible alternative to Hillary Clinton, and yet there is no plausible alternative. Ben, when you saw the reaction to the debate, and especially the folks talking about, well, people are going to lose faith in democracy and things like that, is that a big deal? Are, are folks taking this comment seriously about losing faith in our de democratic system? So just uh, one person's comment out there that really doesn't make a difference. Well, it's a big deal. Um, you know, having sort of grown up in a political household and started observing uh, presidential elections when I was 11, uh, it's occurred to me that every presidential election is always the most important and there's always a Supreme Court argument. And the thing that's always really stood out to me is that when you get down to it, uh, of all the people on earth, you have two people left who are the most likely to be the next president of the United States, whether it's 92, 96, 2000 or, or now. And here we are with these two people. And we can talk about what happened in 2000, and we can talk about contesting results. But nobody has ever come out and flatly said, we are not going to accept the results if we don't like them. And it is a very big deal because he is, I think, intentionally um, trying to incite violence, um, trying to incite people to engage in bad behavior, to go into um, minority and, and communities of colors of color and be disruptive um, and be threatening, and I think that it's a reflection of his, um, you know, scorched earth approach to just about everything that I've been able to observe in my lifetime. I, I remember Trump being on the cover of Time magazine when I was 10 for being bankrupt. Um, so it's striking to me that here we are with this guy being one of the two people on earth as the closest person to being the next president. So it is a monumentally big deal. Um, I think that faith in democracy in this country is already eroding, and you can see that in voter participation and, and speech like that will only hurt it further. Before the Las Vegas debate, Donald Trump and his son, Donald Trump Jr., both made stops in Colorado. Trump used his Colorado rallies to call for congressional term limits, and Donald Trump Jr. was turned away from having an impromptu event at the Sink restaurant in Boulder. Uh, David, as our local Boulderite, were you uh, shocked to see Donald Trump Jr. in Boulder, or at least hear that he was in Boulder, and why do you think he showed up there? Well, Boulder's a fantastic town, and everybody should want to visit. <laughs> Good um, answer. If I were the owner of a restaurant or any other small businessman, I wouldn't let the Trump event Trump in simply because I don't think he'd pay the bills. Campaigns in general have a tendency to rip off their vendors, uh, but the 
Trump uh, businesses have a long record of that, of they don't pay and people they, they bought stuff from or contractors, and then they say, oh, well, your work wasn't good enough, which is just a lie, and then their answer is sue us. We've got all this money. You're just a small businessman. And so then they end up maybe settling and paying the person 70 or 80 percent, maybe, uh, of what they were owed. So, no, you wouldn't give credit uh, even for a few hours uh, to anybody named Trump if you were uh, financially sensible. Uh, Donald the Elder's speech about draining the swamp in Washington, in which he talked about not only about term limits, but also about uh, a ban on lobbying. If you've, you've been in the U.S. House of Representatives, you wouldn't be allowed for five years to be a lobbyist. Uh, likewise, similar things for the federal government, which Obama promised in 2008 and delivered the opposite on. Uh, those are all good themes that, that people across the political spectrum would support. It's pretty late in the campaign for, for Donald to be rolling those out. If he'd been spending the time since he won the general the nomination talking about those issues instead of going off in his narcissistic world where he's always got to talk about, you know, uh, what he said to a Miss Universe contestant and everything else like that, he might be in, in, a, in a close race to win this, but he, he lacks the self-discipline even to stay on his own message when it helps him. Eric, admittedly, I felt the same way about the issue itself, is that if this is solid red meat policy that in a year where there is distrust on both sides of the aisle of government, coming out and making congressional term limits uh, your flag that you want to carry for a good couple months, you could really make some hay around a lot of people. I was astonished that we heard it October 18th or 19th. So what did you think? Well, because David's right on this one. It's a complete lack of discipline on the candidate. It's a lack of strategy. Uh, if we're going to, if, if Donald Trump was ever to be president and we wanted to prevent a revolving door, we should worry more about people coming out of his administration to lobby for the Russian government than necessarily <laughs> on Capitol Hill in Washington. But that's a, uh, a that is a, a, a separate issue. The Trumps have to go somewhere. I've never been convinced for the last couple months that they were being terribly strategic in how they allotted their time across this map. It was only maybe a month or six weeks ago that, you know, Donald Trump spent two days, one day in Jackson, Mississippi, which is as red as it gets, and the next day in Seattle, Washington, which is as blue as it gets. There's just not a coherent strategy to the whole enterprise. Politico this morning had a, a good story just about how Trump's map, and I, I basically think the map is withered and it's gone. There is very little path. But to the extent that Republicans still believe there might be some path, he has to turn around at least one state where he is trailing by six or more points. Colorado was on that list. But there are six states that are typically regarded as swing states. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, New Hampshire, Virginia, Colorado all where Trump is behind by at least six, and some of them are near 10. And even if he won everything else that is still out there, if he won Ohio and Florida and Iowa and a few others that are, quote, swing states and where his margin is, his deficit is less than six, he still needs to pick up one of those where the margin is big. So the, the numbers don't work. The, the, the map is not there. You might as well spend time in Boulder is anywhere else because there's just a lack of strategy and there has been from the get-go. Ben, uh, you know, you're a public affairs consultant. You talk to candidates. You, you work with campaigns. You see Donald Trump Jr. show up into Boulder. What's going through your mind? Uh, unclear. You know, he spoke to the uh, NRA, I believe, in Broomfield or somewhere else on the way up there. And 
I think the idea is that he's younger than his dad and there's young people in Boulder and off he went. You know, I, I agree with, with everybody else. I think the campaign is, is grasping at straws and flailing around. I think that they're trying to do whatever they can to position themselves for whatever's next. And uh, frankly, you can see the desperation and, you know, not accepting the results, telling people to go watch the polls and, and stand vigil over the process. I mean, they're desperate. Petty, uh, were you surprised not to hear about the whole congressional term limits actual policy points uh, earlier? Well, I was surprised to actually hear something sensible from him. And it was interesting because he was back in Colorado Springs, you know, where he had earlier dissed the fire marshal. And before that had complained about how Colorado's system was so rigged. And he went back very quickly to the rigged system after actually talking about a couple themes that people would have cared about. And it's not just, of course, the our election system that's rigged, it's the media. And what is so astonishing to me is that Donald Trump never recognizes that he is completely a creature of the media. <laughs> if Donald Trump had not been on television, if he had not been on The Apprentice, he would not be a candidate for president right now. He would just be some business guy who'd gone bankrupt six times. But it's because of the entertainment media that this man looked credible enough to enough people that he became the Republican candidate. As for his son, the media came back to bite him, too. Another mysterious tape showed up that had Donald Trump Jr. making jokes about the Aurora shootings shortly afterwards, giving two thumbs up to a radio host. Yeah. As mail-in ballots go out this week throughout Colorado, the races have gone into high gear. Daryl Glenn has made an appearance on the airwaves, getting a sudden influx of funds, as have other down-ballot races, including the opponents of the medical aid and dying issue and some state senate races. Eric, so uh, admittedly, when I was uh, in high school, even in college, I was that guy cramming for the test the hour before the thing, thinking it was going to make a difference or even at least help. Um, with these campaigns, picking the week only, really the week that ballots go out to campaign, does it make a real difference or have too many people made up their minds before the ballots come out? Yeah, the week before the ballots go out, Dominic, is the week where you reach your crescendo. It's not the week where you start. You've started <laughs> for weeks and months beforehand. I challenge your question. You talk of the question said that Daryl Glenn's campaign is in high gear. I do not call it when you shift from first to second <laughs> on a five-speed. That is not going into high gear. Fair it's enough. going from first to second. This is an example of not spending good money after bad, but spending good money after none. Uh, whoever is investing in that campaign, we've had this conversation. That race was never a race, and it's not a race. Now, you know, the focus is where the focus has always been, on a handful of ballot issues, on Congressional District 6, Kaufman and Carroll. They had their final debate over at Channel 9, Channel 20 yesterday. It was feisty, as was the one that you and I did, Dominic. Perhaps, I'm not a believer yet, perhaps in Congressional District 3 over in Western and Southern Colorado, and then very intensely battle for control of the state legislature, particularly the state Senate, where it really comes down to probably three districts, one in Jeffco, one in Arapahoe, one in Adams. Democrats to take over the Senate have to go three for three. Republicans just have to go one for three in order to keep their control of the state Senate. That's where the battle is engaged. Ben, uh, this last flurry here, we're seeing the campaigns that we haven't heard from a long time pop up on the airwaves. Does it make a big enough difference to make a victory? I think most Coloradans are saying, Daryl who? Uh, so, no. Um, I do think that for the down-ballot races that there's less clutter, there's less uh, information, and so that that information coming in late 
can have an effect, uh, particularly as Eric was saying in, in some of these um, legislative races, uh, Zenzinger Woods probably being the most outstanding of getting a ton of money pumped into it, going on radio, going on television, and people maybe not being totally sure where they are because those, informa uh, those elections are lower information. I think if you're running at the top of the ballot and you're just starting now, you are in big fat trouble. Uh, Patty, I know at the very least from the ads we've seen from the Glenn campaign, he would be the most fit maybe not for the office, but definitely physically oh, yeah. fit. I mean, that, it was an impressive workout. Uh, from what you've seen this last flurry, what has stuck out for you? Well, much of what Eric said, which is why he is just now shifting and why he's getting fit now. The fact that he missed so many opportunities, those debates, why he didn't give more interviews. I understand that Daryl Glenn didn't appreciate his treatment by the Denver Post, but he has also dodged other reporters. And the fact is, he's got a pretty compelling life story. And as we found out more about the kind of violent household he grew up in, he could have told that story to great effect. Maybe not great enough effect to have any shot at beating Bennett, but he did himself a disservice by not getting the free press that you can get from the, from the media. Mm -hmm. So... I agree, though, also with Ben that if you have not started studying these ballot initiatives, you are have to, going to have to do a very fast study right now, or we're going to see a lot of people just voting no. David, the, it's a big ballot. Everyone knows that. But uh, as I went through mine, I rem it, it was a good reminder that there are a lot of important um, positions, like county commissioner. County commissioners in my county are probably going to make more decisions that are going to affect my personal life than my U.S. Senator or uh, the President. So uh, do you think Colorado's going to put in the effort to know more about those issues, the, the, the races that we're not hearing about on the airwaves? Well, I, I hope so. And if you don't, don't vote. You know, it, it's not mandatory. And if you haven't studied for the test to be able to give a responsible answer, <laughs> let the decision made, be made by other people who did. You know, if, if you know, if you have an opinion on the presidential race or, you know, the Senate, but not on county commissioner, don't vote for county commissioner if you know nothing about it. Although it, it's also true that, that party labels uh, are useful information to voters because they're you know, Democratic versus Republican versus Libertarian versus Green. All of those tell you a, a fair amount about the person's orientation. So it, it's okay to, to go on that. I think many voters may say it's, well, the name of the month is November, so we're just going to vote against all of these statewide ballot measures, which is probably where I'm leaning, except on the, the slavery uh, reform thing, which I'm, I, I will support. <laughs> so we, we shouldn't have any loopholes to allow slavery in our Constitution, which we, we've never had any problem with that in Colorado, but in, in the uh, uh, former, southern, former slave states, that loophole allowing penal servitude uh, was actually used to create de facto slavery through a convict labor system that was uh, which exploited black people. Yeah. We're not going to much, see much of an opposition campaign to that one. That's a good, good point. It's time for Disgrace of the Weekend. As always, uh, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, first I have to point out, David, that you do work here for free. So that <laughs> is a certain form of indentured servitude. That is true. Uh, all right, Disgrace. There are so many this week, but I am going to go with Wayne McDonald, the disgraced former employee of the city, a crony of the mayor's who got a job he never should have gotten, then was accused of harassing a police officer on security detail, was ultimately let go by the city, and now is getting a settlement from the city. That is really a disgrace. David. Uh, Venezuela, which has now become 
overtly what it's been in practice for, for 20 years, which is a socialist dictatorship. Their Supreme Court, which is all appointees of the dictators, Chavez and Maduro, always rules for the government, uh, nixed the referendum uh, according to the Constitution, by which people were uh, putting a recall of the, the dictator Maduro on the ballot. Uh, you, you can't take your democracy for granted. Venezuela was a democracy for many decades, and in uh, a couple decades, the socialists uh, have wiped it out. Eric? It seems we have a bit of time, Dominic, so let me do a quick twofer. First of all, for any political junkies like myself who tuned in last night, Thursday night, to the Al Smith Dinner for Catholic Charities in New York City, what a sad show. It really shows the smallness of these two candidates. If you've gone, looked at it in past years, the presidential candidates show up. There's some camaraderie. The humor is self-deprecating humor. It's aimed at yourself. It's aimed at, not aimed at the other guy. Trump completely missed the mark last night uh, to the extent that the audience was booing him and he didn't even know he'd lost the room. Hillary was not as bad, but she missed the mark as well. Switch subjects really quickly. Wells Fargo, that scandal continues to get worse. They've now lost their Better, better, better Business Bureau accreditation. That is a statement. There are stories about recrimination against whistleblowers, and yet the CEO is walking off with a payday of $133 million. And if that wasn't good enough to pay for a few Ubers, he also has a driver, courtesy of Wells Fargo, for the next few years. It is a scandal. Ben. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, use this to say something nice, but shame on Donald Trump for saying he won't accept the election results and uh, praise to our Secretary of State, Wayne Williams, and, and his spokesperson, Lynn Bartles, for saying you know, that uh, the, the idea of American voter fraud and corrupt elections is a myth, which it is. So. And we have a Disgrace of the Week from one of our viewers. Uh, Jeffrey Knapp uh, tweeted in is that uh, his Disgrace of the Week is that Hillary Clinton and her ilk expect privacy using email, especially for classified email. Let's get to say something nice about somebody. Patty. Well, I'm going with another settlement, this one by the city of Trinidad, which doesn't have money to spare, but they had a sting operation that was so incompetent three years ago, hauled in all these people, no charges were ever wound up holding up. Forty-six people, meanwhile, were damaged by it. Two settlements just came down, $700,000 for some of these people. David. The voters who are turning away from the ba basket of deplorables and at least taking a moral stand and for the future of our country to vote for, for somebody else. Evan McMullen, the independent conservative candidate, is now leading in the polls in Utah, and he's in second place in Idaho. And likewise, Gary, Gary Johnson and other candidates offer people at least a chance to say, we, we don't all go along with, with this rigged system of two horrible candidates. Be interesting to see a different color on ele election night yeah. on, those in that, on that map. Eric. wonder what color they will go with here. That will be interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, not totally unrelated to David, the never-Trumpers in the Republican Party and there's groups of politicians and, and conservative intellectuals who for months and months have said they would never go with Trump. They were subject to a lot of criticism and a lot of attack from their peers. They are looking better all the time. Ben. Uh, I know this was covered last week, but I wanted to say something nice about Alan Salazar, who is the new chief of staff for the mayor of Denver. I think he's a tremendous addition for the city and 
maybe the best hire in the history of this administration. It continues the unanimous uh, feeling we had the same, feel the same way last week. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Stick around tonight for Colorado Decides at 9 p.m. We'll take a look at the Denver DA race and Amendment 72, the proposed tax in tobacco tax increase. You can also catch CIO and all of our debate programs on iTunes, so be sure to check out our podcast. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.